to lift my pudgy body with 34C breast to boot into the air to perfect a pike or tuck. I made up for it with my enthusiasm. I wasn't as popular with my black and brown classmates as I was with the white ones, although I was one of only a few black girls who regularly mingled with them. To this day, I'm not sure if it was due to circumstance or colorism. My light skin often associated with whiteness, my identity regularly mistaken for biracial. Nevertheless, I wanted equal social standing in both spaces. Just to be in the presence of white girls, mainly those who had been cheerleaders for years, those whom all the boys, both white and of color, wanted, I felt privileged. I hoped that if I were adjacent to them, then some of their desirability could lather me like soap suds to the skin, polishing me off until I was just as white as them. I scrutinized how easy it was for them to make their bodies fly through the air, how graceful their movements were. Every gesture seemed like a dance. I might have noticed these talents when they sat beside me in class or brushed past me in the lunchroom line, but these sessions isolated them so I could study them a little bit more closely. Spatial boundaries did not apply to their bodies. They could move anywhere they pleased. Their bodies knew this even if their prepubescent minds didn't. There was no place that they could not go without being acknowledged. Not the playground, not the classroom, not the lunchroom, and most certainly not cheerleading practice. I had only a faint awareness then that being born in white skin, they had been groomed for this kind of dominance. Unlike the cheerleaders in sitcoms and cartoons, these white girls weren't stuck up and rude. On the contrary, they were quite helpful, giving me tips on how to smile when I appeared in front of the judges and how to stretch so that I could improve my momentum for the jumps. Were they nice to me because of my uncles, perhaps? Because I was light-skinned? I wasn't entirely sure. I was 10. I didn't know myself. I exhausted so much of my mental energy hoping that a non-black girl would swallow me into her identity that I never spent much time alone with me and only me. Looking back, they seemed to talk to me more than they did Tanya and Ruby, and both of them were darker than a brown paper bag. But could it have been because I made more of an effort to grovel? All of my closest friends were older girls of color who weren't trying out or interested in cheerleading at all. The more I invested myself into becoming like those white cheerleaders, the less mental space I devoted to my actual friends. If I could not be a white girl, then I could mimic one until anyone who saw me would think that my skin was a costume. I thought myself very ugly. I had ill-fitting glasses, a large overbite, plaited hair that made me look like a kindergartner, and an adult woman's body. I felt caught between two worlds, that of children and that of grown-up folks. I dreamed that cheerleading would provide a middle ground where I could be popular, envied by children and adults alike, for my youth, fortitude, and beauty. These white girls were well aware of their beauty and how much power it yielded. They wore their hair in high ponytails that swung whenever they moved. They discussed who had the most tubes of lip gloss, whose butt looked the biggest in limited two jeans, who shopped where for bras. There were, of course, factions, and enemies swung the word slut around because there was no worse insult to direct towards another girl. Unlike with white girls, whose repeated mudslinging seemed quite boring and nonchalant, Black girls' conflicts were more directed and violent. 
If you were talking behind someone else's back, that person confronted you. If that person was bigger or more popular than you, you either surrendered through crying, i.e. self-abnegation, or apologizing. But even then, a fight was still a possibility. In our world, the most immediate solution to silencing someone was through physical force. Many Black girls, including myself, thought of our strength through physical force as a way of protecting ourselves. White girls weren't expected to be strong. They didn't need to be. They were already supported, cared for, and coddled enough. Fighting for them would have been extravagant. What did they have to prove? The night of tryouts arrived. I had been practicing in my room every night. My mother encouraged me, told me that I had it in the bag, that they would be a fool not to let me in. When she was a child, she didn't make...